Welcome to Awesome Movie Year, the podcast where we take a look back at an awesome year for movies, which is every year. My name is Josh Bell, film critic and writer, and I'm here with my co-host. I'm Jason Harris, filmmaker, comedian, and a magic narwhal. All right, <laughs> that's a voice. <laughs> well, I could be a down south New Orleans style and a magic snowman, too. Sure you could. You could be anything you want. <laughs> so Puffin. It, it's the holiday season ish, right? I think we're in the holidays and uh, better be we're yeah. doing a holiday movie specifically we, for that reason. We are. So yes, it is the holiday season and uh, we've got a couple holiday bonus episodes here, which uh, something we've done in the past. And uh, in particular, we're looking back to our season on the films of 2003 when we had for our audience choice three beloved Christmas films, and it was a close vote, and we ended up talking about Bad Santa, but we thought we'd uh, return to that and talk about the other Christmas films that were our voting options, because people were excited about all of them. So we're starting that off with the beloved Christmas classic, Elf. Yay! So, and I think actually what ended up happening was uh, after we made our plan for that Bad Santa episode, we got a couple more votes and Elf tied with Bad Santa, I think. Mm, so we really- Election fraud on awesome movie It here. is, yeah. We needed a recount or something. So obviously uh, people were interested in Elf. And I mean, it's not a surprise. This is an extremely popular film and has become this beloved Christmas movie. All three of the movies are, uh, you know, holiday classics, Josh. Ones that are watched every year. Of course, uh, Bad Santa, you mentioned. The other one is Love Actually. We'll do an episode on that. Oh, spoiler there. That'll be uh, in your stocking on <laughs> Christmas. Put some podcasts in your stocking. Yeesh. But it's time for Elf. We're going to rock the 2003 Christmas season, starting with Buddy the Elf. Buddy the Elf. And this was not only... Uh, Christmas classic now, but it was a huge hit at the time that it came out. It grossed $223.3 million on its budget of only $33 million and seemed like it was immediately ubiquitous as a Christmas movie. I mean, this isn't one of those movies where it kind of took its time to become this seasonal favorite. Like, immediately this was a movie that people were watching at Christmas. Yeah, this is that four-quadrant movie, right? Everyone could watch it. You watch it with your family. Parents like it. Kids like it. You can watch it on a date. You ever have a date for Christmas, Josh? You ever have a Christmas date? <laughs> did I? No, I don't think I did. I remember once I think I got stood up on a Christmas date or something like that. What a heartwarming story. Ah, let's get back to Elf. <laughs> so uh, you're right, though. It was a it was a crowd pleaser. Grandparents. Grandparents. Yeah. My my uh, my grandma hates Elf. Yeah, that sounds right. Yeah, it's uh, it is beloved in my family especially my sister, who I'm sure voted for it in our poll, loves Elf and would always want to watch it at uh, holiday time, which, which we would do. We would put it on, you know, kind of as we're getting ready to eat dinner or opening presents or whatever. And I think at one point my grandma decided she was going to put her foot down and we could not watch uh, Elf anymore. Come on, Judge Judy, we could watch something. <laughs> she does yeah, love Judge Judy. On, if there was a Elf Judge Judy again. Christmas movie, we'd be watching that. What is this fakakta movie you're making me watch again? A man and an elf did the same? I don't think so. That's a great impression of my grandma. That's really going to be appreciated by the majority of our audience. <laughs> Josh, I'm leaving you money because otherwise you'll never get by in life. <laughs> oh, that is a very accurate impression of my grandma. <laughs> 
but this is a movie that was nominated for very populist awards at the Kids' Choice Awards, the MTV Movie Awards, the Teen Choice Awards. That's the kind of thing that uh, Elf got. No, no Oscar nominations for a lot this of the, one. A lot of the time, I, I hate movies like that. Right. But I don't hate this movie at all. I quite like it, Josh. I agree. And I think that perspective of people who expect to hate this kind of movie and instead enjoyed it was really a lot of what we got from critics. Um, Ebert and Roper gave it two thumbs up. And Ebert especially expressed his disbelief that this turned out to be a good movie. And uh, he really elaborates on that in an amusing way in his review. He said... If I were to tell you Elf stars Will Ferrell as a human named Buddy who thinks he is an elf and Ed Asner as Santa Claus, would you feel an urgent desire to see this film? Neither did I. I thought it would be clunky, stupid, and obvious. It would have grotesque special effects and lumber about in the wreckage of holiday cheer, foisting upon us a chaste romance involving the only girl in America who doesn't know that a man who thinks he is an elf is by definition a pervert. That's what I thought it would be. It took me about 10 seconds of seeing Will Ferrell in the elf costume to realize how very wrong I was. This is one of those rare Christmas comedies that has a heart, a brain, and a wicked sense of humor, and it charms the socks right off the mantelpiece. Man, there's just so much going on with that. <laughs> yeah, I had to get all that in because I, I love that, that that Ebert's immediate reaction is, this man is a pervert. <laughs> <laughs> By definition, I think that was the important yes. thing. Hey, if I was, uh, man, this is not the way to start this thing. But that is one of the things that threw me. The love story is very uh, odd. You yeah. Know? And he, uh, he, while not a pervert, <laughs> I think we could say he's got some type of arrested development. And it's kind of strange that she falls in love with a man child, uh, you know, who's like on their date, taking him through revolving doors and stuff like that. Right. I feel like the way it's presented in the movie is that if anyone is a pervert, it's her because he's clearly sort of pre-sexual, I guess we could say. I mean, he doesn't even doesn't even understand to kiss her on the lips. Yeah. But then he makes a baby with her at the end. Right. Which was a little I don't. Yeah, I, you're right. Maybe this is not the way to start to get into. <laughs> we sex li- life, well, but. I mean, I'm saying we both like this movie, but the, the love story is probably the weakest part of it. It is. Film, it, right? it is. Does feel like sort of underdeveloped and that you needed some sort of uh, further understanding of these characters in terms of their romantic intentions in order for that to work. And it just doesn't quite. Yeah. Yeah. So, but one thing where he said he was expecting grotesque special effects, I think some of the best stuff is the fact that they use so many in-camera tricks and practical effects, which Will Ferrell fought for. They really wanted uh, CGI, but he, he said, no. Well, that was a smart move on his part, and obviously not a lesson that John Favreau heeded in any possible way. I mean, John Favreau again, like you're, this Ebert review is like, I thought it would be clunky and this and that, and you're like, well, you know, knowing what we know now, John Favreau's always just a little bit ahead of the rest of us. I think. Uh, yeah, this is this is possibly my favorite movie that John Favreau has directed. I don't think that's a bad thing. Yeah. So, all right, you know, um, he didn't direct Swingers. That is true. A.O. Scott in the New York Times also kind of expected to hate it and uh, did not. He said, Elf is a charming, silly family Christmas movie, more likely to spread real joy than migraine, indigestion, and sugar shock. The movie succeeds because it at once restrains its sticky, gooey good cheer and wildly overdoes it. 
John Favreau's direction has a relaxed, swinging rhythm, a reflection of the hipster nonchalance that has defined and also limited his acting style. The big, chaotic scenes sometimes lack polish and precision, but Elf also happily foregoes the slick, hyperactive aggression that makes so many live-action holiday comedies so wearying. This guy doesn't know what the word hipster means. That's what I took. From I mean, that. I like, think I think you have to remember that at this point, John Favreau was known almost exclusively for Swingers and Made. Zathura? Did he make Zathura? I think Zathura was after this. Oh, yeah. Because well, I know this is the first Will Ferrell post SNL movie, right? Well, old school, I think, came before this. But or, I think he was still on SNL. Yeah. Oh, okay, yeah, maybe so. Um, but I thought Favreau had directed at least one other big budget thing. I don't think so. I think he had just directed Made at this point. Well, okay, that's fine. But just assuming that like he's bringing those sensibilities over is just incorrect in this. Yeah, I don't see any sort of... I like. I, I disagree with you. I think that to label Favreau a hipster based on his prior films before this is fair, but I don't see any of that in this film. I don't think that's true either. I don't ever think, uh, well, I don't care. Who cares? All I right. mean, do I want to say like, do we're hipsters doing swing dancing or were hipsters the ones who were like, swing dancing sucks, where are the strokes? I mean, I, I don't know exactly, but I think the point is that he exuded that sense of like sort of underground cool in those early films. Yeah. But, and, it, but he doesn't bring that. Right, here. exactly. And that's just that's just bad uh, bad work on that, that journalist's part. Bad. Um. But but I mean, I think his point, like Ebert's point, is that you expect something overdone and irritating and cloying out of these Hollywood Christmas movies. And that's not what you get here. Someone has talent to do something other than what we expect. <laughs> well, I mean, think about how many and, and, and in this year, uh, uh, multiple reviews mentioned that the Santa Claus 2 and the Jim Carrey version of How the Grinch Stole Christmas were recent uh, Christmas movies. And you think about those compared to this, those are exactly all the awfulness that you would expect. Yeah, you know, Josh, before uh, we started this today, Dave and I did our piecing it together, doing the previews for the upcoming uh, movies. And of course, it's December, lots of Christmas movies, right? And we were talking about that movie Silent Night with Kira Knightley, which is a very dark comedy. And we We've talked about uh, the other Black Friday, and it's good that there's room for all of this now, but maybe you're right. There wasn't as much um, kind of bandwidth for exploring the Christmas spaces as widely as before. Right. And especially in a movie that's like a decent sized budget that comes from a studio that's meant to appeal to a wide audience. So I think it's, it's fair for them to expect that and then to be you know pleasantly surprised. And, and mostly critics were into this, but I wanted to find a negative response. And this is also an amusing one because it is, as we sometimes enjoy seeing, uh, people making very, very wrong predictions about how things would go. So Stephen Hunter in the Washington Post said, for pure, intense, vivid, and ruinous curses, you have no further to turn than the redoubtable weekend fixture Saturday Night Live. For nearly three decades, it has quite routinely discovered attractive performers, made them famous, dispatched them to the movies, and most often watched them fail miserably. That pattern is unlikely to be changed with the utterly misbegotten Elf, which is the first and possibly the last Will Ferrell star vehicle. It's a clumsy, tedious ride that wears out its welcome as it wears out the seat of your pants and the circulation in your lower limbs. 
man, this guy not only didn't get Elf right, but he seems to have no concept of the success rate of Saturday Night Live stars. You know? Right, because even if you don't like these movies, I mean, it's hard to argue that people like Bill Murray or Chevy Chase didn't become movie stars. Adam Sandler, Chris Farley, right, David right. Spade. You know, David Spade's a movie star, right? He, he, he was David Spade is a second-tier Netflix star. Still a movie star. They make movies on Netflix. They and do. at the time of this, those were theatrical movies, right? Right, so. right. I mean, he, I think elsewhere, it was citing some recent, maybe like uh, Chris Kattan and some people who didn't. Like, they don't all become movie stars. Right, but... so then that's the point is, hey, this was uh, more of a, a down period to create those stars, but right. or you know, because you know what else was coming out? The ladies' man, maybe around this time, yeah, or something. possibly but, something like that. But again, it's idiotic because it's a dumb comparison. This is not an SNL movie, you know, right? It's not. It's not based on a, a sketch character or anything. It wasn't produced by Lauren Michaels. Yeah. Um. And and even if you don't like this movie, I think to watch this movie and think, oh, Will Ferrell is gonna like descend into obscurity after this is a really misguided take yeah i think from this performance you could say maybe he'd go more of that like juvenile sandler route which uh he really did he did his own thing will ferrell which i appreciate you know yeah he's he's got some good range and i mean he's done crowd pleasing you know we'll talk about that later maybe but he's certainly done these kinds of crowd pleasing movies he's done raunchier comedies he's done some serious dark films yeah Um, yeah he's good he is good so screw you Pulitzer Prize winning Stephen Hunter. Yeah, I yeah. think uh, Stephen Hunter. I have one more uh, quote from a review. All right. It's, um, I'm going to take a nap. Josh, I expected so much more of you. It's my grandma? Josh's you're grandma. Quote, you're <laughs> quoting my, oh, I thought you had a real thing to quote. But you're, he's, Jason is looking at his tablet as if he's going to read something and then just uh, does an impression of my grandma. So I hope you had impression of Josh's grandma written in your notes for this episode. Nope. This nope. is the beauty, Josh. Just all improvised. Magic. Amazing. It's just like Will Ferrell. Magic. <laughs> Amazing. So obviously this is a holiday favorite that we, I think, had all seen. But Jason, did you see this when it was released I think theaters? we probably both saw it in the theater. Maybe this was around the time when you had started being a critic of films. You know? Yes. I think, I think we probably saw it as a preview and both thought like, hey, this is good. Right. Well, I definitely, because I had found, I wrote a review of it. And so I definitely saw it at a preview. It's possible that you were there with me, but uh, I had that similar response in my review, basically like this could have been terrible and it turns out that it was good. So uh, yeah, I liked it. I only gave it three stars out of five at that time, but I think I like it a little more. Um, Like I said, it's because it's a favorite of my sister's. I feel like I've seen bits and pieces of it many, many times over many, many holidays, but how many times I sat down and watched it from beginning to end, I don't know. I didn't watch it for a while. And then Scarlett, my daughter, and I watched it last year for the first time together and just had such a great time. And in preparation for this, I said, Scarlett, don't do your homework. <laughs> you and daddy got a different assignment tonight. It's time for us to watch Elf. And we had a great time watching it again. Oh, that's good. So do you feel like, is this one of her Christmas favorites? I think it is. I think it is. And we crack up every. Every time uh, at some of the same points, for instance, when uh, Buddy and Michael are putting up the Christmas tree and Michael, it's a giant Christmas tree. Michael says, how are we going to get the star on top? And Buddy says, I'll get it. And he just takes a running leap onto the couch, bounces into the Christmas tree and gets like halfway up and then the tree falls on him. 
we laugh out loud every time there. That is some good physical comedy. That is. That is a good a good moment. So, Dave, did you see this when it came out? Oh, yeah, definitely. I was full throttle, Will Ferrell, you know, everything he was doing at the time. Right. Well, we did talk about your love for old school. So yeah, absolutely. Presumably. And is this a holiday favorite for you? I feel like it was. And then I tried to watch it like a couple of years ago and it didn't work as well. And I'm happy to report that this time around, I was like right back to loving it. I don't know. Maybe I just wasn't in the mood last time. Mm. Yeah. yeah. Dave the Grinch. I was the Grinch. Yeah. yeah. You could watch it with Josh's grandma with that attitude. <laughs> yes. <laughs> that's, that's true. Well, we would love it this time. Yeah. So. Yeah. That's good. Yeah. That's one of the great things about it is because of the tone and there isn't, it's obviously there's intelligence to this thing, right? And um, that for the most part, the characters uh, all earn where they get to, like it holds up, it holds up to this point. Yeah, I think so. I, I certainly enjoyed it. I think because it's, it's this background thing so much, I just, you don't think about it, it's craftsmanship or it's cleverness. It's like an ornament. It's just something that's there. And so actually watching it from beginning to end and appreciating it, it, it is really well made and we got to give just a ton of credit to favreau and will ferrell because the script had been around since 1993 david uh baron uh who really this was the height of his career yeah, it really know. was yeah yeah so um you know and supposedly it was much darker and then ferrell and and john favreau just said you know we could really lean into the spirit of christmas here and um you know kind of do those bank and rass style uh um, rank and bass what did I say? Bank and Rass? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, <laughs> Either one, really. You know what I mean. Yeah, I so. do. But uh, yeah, yeah, the, those homages, not just with uh, Animagic that we talked about. Ooh, yes. But also like the tone and the whimsy of New York City. Like I love how they present New York City as this magical Christmas place. And I just it just all works still. Yeah, I agree. And I don't think the the sort of, I don't know what the darker version looked like or read like in a script form, but I don't think that would have been good as much as we're uh, criticizing the romance. I don't think we would want to uh, witness Buddy's uh, perversion or something like that, whatever the dark version would have been. No, I think I think that could have been either just a friendship that we never see turn into a romance. And then we could have had the end piece of like, hey, we eventually got together and had a baby or whatever. Or they could have just. Just kept it as a nice friendship. Yeah, I think maybe just keeping it with friendship might have worked better, but it's a Hollywood movie. You have to have a romance, as, as Eber points out. So, eh, it's fine. If you have to have it, it could have been worse. So, <laughs> anything else on the background you want to talk about here? Um, why did Eber take a shot at Ed Asner? He's beloved. Well, I, yeah, I mean, I think, and he wasn't the only one. I think a lot of these reviews mention Ed Asner and James Caan and the idea of their sort of counterintuitive casting as, as, that, as a negative. But to me, again, one of the things that works about this movie is that you have these grumpy, curmudgeonly old guys in these nice Christmas roles. And it, it kind of, that, that tension makes it amusing. And James Conn is a grump, and that's the character here. But Ed Asner is just fantastic as Santa Claus. And I think he probably went on and played Santa Claus like 50 more times after it's this. It's quite possible. He's definitely very Santa Clausy. So, uh, yeah, but I think just at the time, some of these, they didn't seem, they were unexpected and people didn't know how to take them. And now we're so used to it because we've seen this movie a million times. Yes. And we'll all watch it again, I think. We will. Right uh, over the break. Cool. <laughs> and we'll be back after we watch Elf.
Welcome back to Awesome Movie Year. In this special holiday episode, we are returning to the films of 2003 to talk about Christmas classic Elf. And as we've established here, uh, we all like it. Just it's all good, man. You know, what's funny is uh, I recently showed a producer a script and he said there's too many montages in it. And now I'm going to make him watch Elf because Elf has a thousand <laughs> montages and they're all good and they all work, you know. But, um, you know, just starting from the beginning when we're up in the North Pole, I love just like what a set it looks like, you know, and um, all those fun effects to show just the size difference between uh, Buddy and the rest of the elves. And of course, like Bob Newhart, who, again, wasn't really like if you look up his filmography, there's not much as far as movies go. He's delightful as Papa Elf there and nails it. Yeah, absolutely. He is. He's so delightful that when he's gone for the majority of the middle want, of the movie, you kind of miss him. Yeah, like bring him back in the middle just to like get, get us over the hump. There, right. So. Maybe he could come back. He doesn't get to have any scenes with James Caan as the sort of dueling father figures of uh, Buddy the Elf. I feel like that could have been something. I think. Yeah, you're right. But I do think like, you know, a lot of what worked about it is that they didn't get uh bogged down in mechanism it was just very simple like even the way he finds out he's a human he overhears it and then he's like well i guess i'll go find my dad and then he goes and finds his dad like it's all very logical next step next step next step as opposed to like doing all these reversals and everything that you're supposed to do as a screenwriter and whatnot so i think the simplicity really helps it out and um you know we talked about some of the actors like everyone who's cast in this is right on mary steenburgen is uh, an underappreciated American hero. Um, she's great in everything. And yeah. she always holds down these comedies in such a grounded way. She's always just like there and you can rely on her um, to do the job. Well, Peter Dinklage has that hot, you know, scene as Miles Finch uh, where he fights with Buddy and, and Will Ferrell really nails the wonderment and the whimsy of this whole thing. Right. And that's so important because you realize that if you met Buddy in reality, he would be extremely annoying and you would never want to talk to him. But he is endearing in this film. And I think it could be so easy for Buddy as a film character to just be incredibly irritating and you don't want to watch him. And Will Ferrell makes him uh, he does make him lovable or just charming, I guess, is more like it where I can at least for me, I can watch the movie and think. I would hate Buddy as a person, but I love him as a movie character. Yeah. I mean, little things like when he first gets to New York and he's like hopping through the crosswalk and they honk at him and he, he hops back. Those little montages, like I said, go a really long way. And then I think he really earns even more when he gets to Gimbal's and they're like, Santa's coming tomorrow. And he gets so excited and he spends the whole night redecorating the store as only he could. I think that goes a long way to really sealing the uh, the rooting interest in this character. Right. I mean, he has this sort of purity to him that no one else has. I mean, and that purity is what makes the love story not work because he is almost, you know, he's childlike. He's not, uh, he doesn't have adult problems or adult worries or adult understanding of things. Yeah. And I just didn't believe the love story. Right. No, I agree. I agree. And, and Zoe Deschanel is, is also charming. And it's not necessarily her fault. I mean, she's a, there's an underwritten character. There's not much to her. I mean, her arc is that she's embarrassed about singing in public and then she sings. Yeah, their best moment is that scene, which, uh, again, uh, you know, like, so she's there 
in a department store taking a shower. Right. They're like, oh, it's a locker room, <laughs> but that's not entirely. I don't know how many department stores have locker that rooms one with really, showers. That one really threw me. Yeah, no, right? me too. Especially this time. I was like, why is there a shower here? Yeah, that I didn't understand. But um, but the two of them singing Baby It's Cold Outside was was pretty delightful together. Yeah, that was nice. And it shows that moment more than almost any of the other moments show that they could connect, you know, that they both actually, even though she's kind of shy about it, uh, they both have this love for singing and for Christmas music and they can connect because they don't see each other um, when they're singing the, that song together. So that is a nice a nice little moment. And then of course she does save Christmas at the end by getting everyone to sing uh, Santa Claus is coming to town. But I got to say, and I love the callback because, you know, in the very beginning, we learned the three ways to enhance Christmas or whatever, the three ways to maximize Christmas. And rule number three is, you know, sing it loud, sing it proud. We're here, we're queer, get used to it. <laughs> or something along those lines. Something like that. Something, something right? maybe not exactly that. But yeah, something but you like know, that. You know what it is, yes, right? Yeah, you know. Christmas cheer, you sing loud for all to hear, something like right, that. Right. And that gets the belief up and the right. Christmas meter up. And um, I think it really worked as a callback there. Yeah, it does. I feel like to me, the movie is the best when it's just weird comedy. And I really appreciated this time how like strange some of the comedy is in this movie. But obviously it is a Hollywood movie. So at a certain point you have to have conflict and you have to have the plot come together. And we have the climax where Santa Claus comes back and his sleigh is broken down and you need the Christmas spirit to get the sleigh back up and running and save Christmas. And I thought that was all maybe a little rote, like, well, we got to do this. So here it is. Uh, I would have been happy if it was just Buddy being weird in New York the whole time. I agree with you that that act three is not as strong as, you know, acts one and two, but it does still hold up, you know, Michael reading the Santa Claus's book about what all the kids wanted for Christmas. And I, I agree. It's not as strong because it feels like it also comes out of nowhere. Right. We we haven't seen this kind of urgency and, you know, there's never been anything about him needing to save Christmas. Right. So, right. It just it just feels a little different. And then also, you know, when we move from the set of the North Pole to New York, we're moving in this like kind of animated, crazy, fun world set design into this real world. And now we're putting uh, Santa in here. But it just kind of I'm glad he came back, but I just don't this didn't fit as well for me. Yeah, no, I agree. And I think that is something where they feel like we have to, and what's the Christmas movies are all about saving Christmas a lot of every, the time. Every single one. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you do establish a little in the beginning. We have Bob Newhart's character. We have Papa Elf showing Buddy the engine on the sleigh and how they had to build it because there's not enough Christmas spirit. And so it, it's established a bit, but not the idea that it's going to break down and there's you know, Christmas is going to be in jeopardy. So... Um, yeah, to me, that was a little unnecessary, but at the same time, even those parts are full of weird bits of humor. I love the TV news reporter in those scenes who is being weirdly like negged by her colleague, the reporter <laughs> who keeps being condescending to her about, Oh, you never found any stories like this in Buffalo. Did you Charlotte? My favorite bit on that is Matt Walsh as the guy that she interviews and he's like yeah you're just great at your job and you know um you got the right type of eyes for this and you know and he's just he, i don't i bet that was all improvised obviously matt walsh there but i do like all that weird stuff um i i love some of the big set pieces like michael is not a fan of buddy he thinks he's too weird he's embarrassing 
and then they have the snowball fight with the other kids and we see buddy's elf skills about like making snowballs fast and and just you know pounding those kids uh with snowballs that that's a great set piece right there yeah that that stuff is fun too um early on in the movie where it's just a lot of the contrasting of buddy's weirdness with uh the real world and how people respond to him so i will say also though about matt walsh for some reason in the credits he's credited as playing himself Hmm. which is interesting (laughs) as if matt walsh the actor was hanging out in central park uh being spoken to by this tv news reporter about santa claus i got another weird one like that about this um phase on love who plays uh the gimbal's christmas department store manager right by the way, just love the fact that he's wearing black like sneakers or sh- like work shoes and white sweat socks. Like I love that. I didn't notice that detail. But that was originally written for Wanda Sykes, and uh, Phase on Love uh, demanded that he still get to wear the name tag Wanda, which is. <laughs> <laughs> I hadn't noticed that. Yeah, that's great. Yeah, all sorts of random stuff like that. When the TV news is reporting on. Uh, buddy being in central park there's this freeze frame of him that looks like the famous image of bigfoot so good and yeah. i didn't even understand that uh all the times i watched in the past until this year when i watched that mini series on uh hulu of uh you know the big hunting bigfoot and then everyone gets murdered or whatever that was called by the way my dad's friend took that picture the actual bigfoot picture yeah what yeah oh, he's weird. still alive right yeah he's here in vegas actually i don't know if he still is he was like 10 years ago what's his name Tom Biscardi, I think. Yeah, he's in that miniseries that I watched. Really? Yeah. Oh, nice. wow. That's I crazy. So. That yeah. you know he's him. a record collector. Yeah. Of course he is. <laughs> yeah. Because he's a, yeah. Yeah. Dave's dad wax tracks records, everybody. <laughs> yeah. But no, that's hilarious, that whole Bigfoot thing. Right, right. And it's so random and it's not like remarked upon in any way. Yeah. And I like no, that. no children are going to notice that. Right. And it's funny because it's funny. It works on the surface level and then it works on that deeper level also. Um, I like the sequence a lot where, Santa does come to the mall and it's Artie Lang and, you know, Will Ferrell, you smell like beef and cheese. You're a fake, you know, and that, that that's the scene is just kind of very good to escalate everything. Right. Yeah, that that stuff is really funny. And and again, all of the things and, and as you reference, some of this may be improvised, but all of the stuff that Buddy says in response to the sort of reality of New York City and jobs and stores and all that stuff is off kilter is not what you would expect necessarily from this kind of wholesome Christmassy movie. And not that it's dark or inappropriate, but it's just a little strange. And I like that about this. I've got a good example of that is when he says, good news. I saw a dog today. (laughs) (laughs) You've probably seen it. You've seen the dog before. Yeah. (laughs) Right. And, and just, you know, and, and, and he doesn't really have like self doubt ever he never worries that he's doing the wrong thing or the inappropriate thing he's just 100 percent confident about doing what he does i think the one thing that also gets us to root for him is but he doesn't fit in and he knows he doesn't fit well in. right and he doesn't fit in in the in new york and he doesn't fit in among the elves either and you know he has some angst but at the same time he's so cheerful about everything and that you can't break him yeah, let's talk about those animagics, though, Josh. Yeah, they look great. That are our references back to those Rankin Bass specials like uh, Frosty the Snowman and Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer. You've got Leon Redbone. Talk about random. Yeah, Leon Redbone, man. Uh, playing the snowman and the little, the the was it a puffin, right? There's a puffin and narwhal and uh, other things. Yeah, one other thing, I think. And I think John Favreau does the voice of the narwhal. Yeah, and the puffin. Yeah. 
So, right. I mean, I think that really, first of all, it's really well done. Um, it really captures the style of those old specials. And it puts you right in the mentality of this is a Christmas classic because you know those are, 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 all, are already Christmas classics. Right. So, yeah, that stuff is great. How about some alternative casting? Josh? Of course. How could you not get to the alternative casting? Originally, and I think it would have been good, written for Chris Farley. Me. Jim Carrey. Yeah, I mean, Jim Carrey seems like an obvious choice. And, and, but watch the Jim Carrey Grinch movie, or better yet, don't watch the Jim Carrey <laughs> Grinch movie and see what he could have done with something like this. Although that movie also has some really weirdly dark things in it. Yeah, the uh, other thing, Gary Shandling turned down the uh, part that James Caan took. See, and Gary Shandling, I'm sure would have been good, but he seems like a more obvious choice. Like a, he's a comedy actor who's known for being kind of uh, nervous or whatever. But James Caan is because he's sort of counterintuitive for that choice and he's known for like serious tough guy roles. Yeah. It really works. Yeah, you know, he talks grumbled and I'm never really happy about anything. Right. There's, like a, there's a lot of grumbling in this movie uh, between yeah. him and Ed Asner and your, and your grandma watching. You know, <laughs> right. Exactly. All of that. Yeah. No, really um, all works. No, it's all good. And the, and the soundtrack was a huge success. Um, it is the second highest grossing christmas soundtrack ever christmas movie soundtrack wow yeah people love christmas music i mean you can never get enough of it sold six hundred ninety-five thousand copies only behind polar express hmm polar express yeah that's a movie sure is so let's rate this then you want to rate it out of uh five uh spaghetti and candy breakfasts spaghetti and syrup breakfasts yeah all cool. Three and a half spaghetti and syrup breakfasts for me i will give it three and a half as well like i said uh I think I enjoyed it more this time and it's, it's deserves its place in the Christmas pantheon. So Dave, three and a half for me too. Wow. We all agreed. I have one more rating from Josh's grandma. Oh, good. Ah, come on. Leave me alone. (laughs) Yeah, that's, that's, that's about right. (laughs) (laughs) We'll come back in a moment then and talk about the legacy of elf. Welcome back to Awesome Movie Year in this special holiday episode. Looking back at the films of 2003, we've been talking about Elf. And of course, as we keep saying, it is a Christmas classic. And that's its biggest legacy is just that it is unavoidable at Christmas, which is one of the reasons that maybe some people get annoyed with it, just like a lot of other Christmas movies that just that get played on a loop. But the ones that that we think of, like we've covered Christmas Vacation before, uh, Home Alone, stuff like that. The heart is really what shines through, you know, and uh, I think that's what what really succeeds here. Right. No, I agree. And like I said, I think it deserves its place there. But anything like that that becomes so ubiquitous, it's not surprising that people get sick of it. Yeah. Um, But it's still being shown. I'm sure. It'll be in regular rotation on, you know, TBS or some cable channel. It's available. You know, streaming services are going to want to have it for their viewers at Christmas time. It'll be out in theaters again around Christmas time. I mean, it's always around. Now, there was Elf the Musical on Broadway in 2010, which I'm sure would have been a fun holiday show. I did watch Elf Buddy's Musical Christmas, which is based on that, and it's animated and not good. Yeah, starring Jim Parsons from The Big Bang Theory. Right. Buddy. Uh, no offense to Jim Parsons, but he does not have the same lovability as Will Ferrell. Yeah, definitely, definitely not. I haven't seen that, but um, I mean, I think that is part of 
the legacy here, which is that as much as this movie is beloved, Will Ferrell seems to never want to return to it. And I'm sure they asked him to be in that special and he declined. Yeah, I mean, the things I've read, and I respect that, like, I mean, how many sequels has he done? They did Anchorman 2 because he wanted to do Anchorman 2. Daddy's right? Home 2. Right, okay, that's a different thing, right? So, but I mean, they they supposedly they've asked him to do Elf 2 and he's turned down $29 million and this and that. And then there's the rumor that he and Favreau don't get along or whatever. But like, we don't need another Elf if it's going to be a bad Santa too, right? Right, no, I completely agree. I, I do, however, think it's uh, interesting that he's held out like that because he certainly has done other sequels. Um, but I'm I'm 100% in favor of leaving Elf alone the way that it is, even though they haven't, obviously. And you know it's just a matter of time before someone reboots this with uh, you know some young tiktok person as josh the star. josh has already seen the and dave i don't know if you have but that new home alone reboot which is supposed to be the worst oh it's so bad it's universally regarded as one of the worst things ever made it's it, it is very 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 bad um but home alone unlike elf is a movie that no one hesitated to follow up on i mean it's not like that was the first time there were four other home alones after the first one but before this new one so uh Thanks, Will Ferrell, for having some integrity. On Will this. Ferrell, we, you know, like you mentioned, has this kind of uh, varied career, lots of different things. In the past, I think we've talked about some of the weirder movies he's made. Uh, he is going to be in a movie called Spirited, where he plays the ghost of Christmas present, right? Yeah, that's with Ryan Reynolds, and I am skeptical of that. And we like, um, well, The Shrink Next Door, based on the podcast, just debuted. It's uh, not Christmassy. It's very mm. Hanukkah-y. No, so. yeah, it's extremely Jewish. Yeah, but yeah. I, I enjoyed it. It got kind of mixed reviews. It probably didn't need to be an eight-episode series. It probably could have been a feature film. But uh, Will Ferrell and Paul Rudd are, are both good, and they have great uh, chemistry. And the episodes aren't too long. And it's no, no, they they get longer. But that's a general complaint about yeah. TV from me. Yeah, but so since we've talked about Will Ferrell in the past, I mean, I do think it. I I think he's going to start in the one hundred year old man who climbed out the window and disappeared. Which oh, is, a remake of that. Yeah, yeah, so that could be mm. fun. But we've talked about like him as an actor and doing these fun things, but. I don't think he gets the credit uh, as a producer. He's made so much good stuff. I mean, you know, everything from Eastbound and Down to Succession. He's, uh, you know, Gary Sanchez is uh, uh, his production company. He produces it. Funny or Die, like, help bring in this kind of streaming short form video revolution. So I think uh, he's doing good stuff, this Will Ferrell. Yeah, I think so. And 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 that integrity to turn down the Elf sequel is part of, his thoughtfulness, even though he's certainly been in plenty of bad movies, but he does seem to take some care to have diversity in his projects and stretch himself as a performer and all that. It always seems like he's, yeah, pushing himself and trying to give it his all there. So, yeah. And now John Favreau, uh, the king of Hollywood, bro. Yeah. You don't like him, but I don't know why. So, well, okay. I like the Mandalorian. Um, overall the, yeah. the star wars series on disney plus that he created and has directed a lot of but it seemed like after this movie he really just aimed himself at bigger and bigger and less personal less personality driven less quirky hollywood projects and he's very successful yeah you can't argue with that i mean he did make chef right which, which i think is terrible but a lot of people love and kind of yes. hit that zeitgeist again and the whole marvel universe is partially due in, uh, to him and Iron Man, which again exceeded huge expectations. So he helped set up that universe. 
And I think he really jump-started the Star Wars universe, which he's kind of in charge of. He's like the Kevin Feige now, it seems like, of Star Wars, because n- no one was excited about the movies anymore. People are excited about Mandalorian and, and that stuff. And um, the way he's shooting that is all pretty cool, too. Right. I mean, you can't argue with his success, certainly. And I, I think his Iron Man movies are fine, and they definitely did prove that that Marvel superhero universe could be a big Hollywood success. So I, I, I just feel like there's a direction that he could have gone in that, and, you know, maybe he didn't want to, and that's fine. Um, that would have been indicated by this, where there's a little more quirkiness, there's a little more comedic boldness, and that's not at all what he went for. And that's fine. And then again, you know, again, I, for me, I watch chef where that's his more personal grounded smaller project and i found that movie incredibly smarmy and annoying and self-serving yeah so i uh of of mandalorian and and the marvel movies I, it seems like he does really well with like i mean we even mentioned zathura which is probably his most underrated movie it's all right right mm-hmm. but like i mean what he did like jungle book and well lion. that's to me the big thing is that what he's doing now is these horrible disney remakes and the jungle book and the lion king are just both abysmal and worthless yeah okay so i'm not going to disagree that those are <laughs> bad movies i'm just saying he's kind of trying to capture some type of imagination with all these things and it it's definitely working with Star Wars and obviously it worked with the Marvel stuff. Well, right. I mean, and it, you know, we may not like those Disney movies, but they were extremely successful and he's making sequels, I think, to both of them. So although actually I think maybe he's not the director on the Lion King sequel, but is the director on the Jungle Book sequel. But the point being, those movies were really successful and his uh, interest in pushing special effects in the same way that he's done with The Mandalorian is a big reason why those movies were able to, like, why he was able to pull them off, uh, even if they suck. And Dave is sitting here because Dave loves The Jungle Book. I do love The Jungle Book. I will stand up for that one. But as much as I love The Jungle Book, Lion King is every bit as terrible as you make it out to be. Um, so I don't know why I like one and not I the other. because they're very yeah. similar. They are very similar, but it's just, there's nothing good about The I... Lion King. Couldn't you? I think I saw the Lion King one, and I must have slept through it or something. That was a smart move. It's yeah. it's it's bad. I don't yeah. I don't think it was a thing. Yeah. Zoe Deschanel, I think, kind of, you know, is at a good point to kind of reinvent herself. She was quirky best friend. She was quirky leading lady. She's in she and him. That's kind of fun. So let's see where she goes now from here. And she's hosting uh, the celebrity dating game. <laughs> yeah, that's where she goes now. Yeah, I think she can be charming. Um, I wasn't a regular viewer of New Girl, but it was very successful for multiple seasons. Uh, it wasn't my thing. I never watched it. But um, she and him do have two Christmas albums. They do, yeah. So she certainly capitalized on the whole Christmas music thing with this film. All right. Ed Asner, we know, died this year, working all the way till the end. Cobra Kai, Muppets Haunted Mansion. This is an amazing thing I looked up on Ed Asner. He ha- is 25 for 47 in awards wins to nominations. And five for 11 in Golden Globes and seven for 17 in Emmys. 17 Emmy nods and seven wins, you know. Yeah. That's legendary, man. And we're not even talking about his activism because you don't care for that, Josh. No, no. Mary Tyler Moore, Rich Man, Poor Man, Lou Grant, Bob Newhart, another legend. Obviously, TV, we know he's just, you know, and as a stand up, the button down mine, like one of the all time greats. James Caan, uh, what was he in? A little movie called The Godfather or something. Like right, that. well, that was before this. But <laughs> I mean, I think James Caan and Ed, Ed Asner, especially if you look at his filmography, like he was working constantly. He has like, I don't know, probably four or five things still banned. I love that. Yeah, but I mean, it's like 
80% garbage. But he made up not too long ago. So, you know. Uh, not, uh, yeah. I mean, I think he was definitely going for quantity and he was a legend. So he ended up getting cast in, in some good stuff too. But, um, you know, he's one of these old school actors. I feel like there's a lot of Some those people, people just want to work. He just wanted know? to work. Yeah. Worked all the way until his, his death. And, and James Conn too, um, is just working constantly and in he, a lot he's of garbage. In Queen bees. I didn't see this. I uh, didn't see that either. That was a most, the most recent release. Now. I know we already said Mary Steenburgen. Yeah. Uh, she has an Oscar and I'm happy for her. Uh, good for her. I, I like her. She's always a uh, welcome yeah. presence and stuff. So I know these so. guys. These people are all talented, right? Um, but I definitely think, in some degree, it's the the idea of just saying yes to everything. Do you know when we talked about Daniel Tay, the kid who played Michael? Did we talk about him before? Well, not him, but perhaps oh, maybe he, <laughs> he played young Harvey Picar. In, oh wow! Yeah, in, in American Splendor. Yeah, that's right. Okay, yeah, we probably didn't hmm. talk about him, but we did talk about that movie. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, he he's someone who. Uh, kind of exited acting after being yeah, a child actor, which is totally that's fair. fine. We we are okay with that. Yeah, but watching him in this, I for a minute I was like, oh, is that Michael Angarano who is was a child actor who's become an adult actor, and it's not. But I, I watching him, I thought like, oh, he's he's got you know he's clearly someone who was doing something. I could see him having gone on to become an adult actor. Josh, I got two more things. Okay, one obviously we've talked about Peter Dinklage in our station agent episode, and just always hits a home run. I feel like you know. And two, Dave, I'm surprised you didn't mention the score because the score is really great and Christmassy. Mm-hmm. So I looked up John Debney, who he, it was the uh, score, the composer, score, score guy. I think do Josh. You, is do you right. not know the word composer, Jason? <laughs> Musicer. Uh, and Josh, yes, as a as a composer, nobody I don't think is in the league with this guy as far as doing. Any type of holiday movies. Oh, is he like the Christmas music specialist? Not just that. Hocus Pocus. I'll be home for Christmas. The Passion of the Christ. There's a happy one. (laughs) Christmas with the Cranks. Keeping up with the Steins about bar mitzvahs. Valentine's Day. New Year's Eve. Draft Day. The football movie. The Young Messiah. Mother's Day. And I put the beach bum because that feels like a holiday. Jingle Jangle. Mm -hmm. A Christmas Journey. And recently, Josh Clifford the Big Red Dog. Home Sweet Home Alone. And Hocus Pocus 2. Oh, man, as we just trashed Home Sweet Home Alone. <laughs> well, that guy knows what he's good at and keeps doing he it. He does it. He, he may, he's a cottage industry. Yeah. It's nice to be known for something. Right, right. Yeah. Props to him. I'm sure he works. He's got no shortage of those kinds of movies to work on. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, the only other thing you mentioned, David Berenbaum, the screenwriter, who this was really the height of his career. He did a couple of forgettable Spiderwick Chronicles Chronicles and the Haunted Mansion movie and nothing that's really distinguished in any way. Uh, And for all we know, it's really thanks to Jon Favreau and Will Ferrell that this movie worked because, as we're saying, his script originally was had a very different tone. So uh, but, you know, credit to him, at least, if nothing else, for a, a really good idea. The concept of this movie is great. Yeah. And it worked out. It did work out. So that is Elf. And that is this episode of Awesome Movie Year. Say happy holidays to us on social media. Why not, Josh? I'm Jason Harris Comedy or J Harris Comedy on all the socials. My website, go for Jason. Uh, for Christmas, someone get me a new website, all right? <laughs> We're at awesomemovieyear.com, Awesome Movie Year on Facebook and Instagram, Awesome Movie Pod on Twitter. My website, uh, also not great, but if you go to joshbellhateseverything.com from quite a number of years ago, I have a whole bunch of uh, posts about Christmas movies, not including this one, but a bunch of other ones. So. Look at that. Why not? 
Uh, Josh Bell hates everything on Facebook and at Signal Bleed on Twitter. And listen to our producer, David Rosen's awesome podcast, Piecing It Together. Check out Piecing It Together wherever you listen to podcasts and uh, follow us on social media at PiecingPod. Maybe we'll have a holiday movie discussion in the Popcorn and Puzzle Pieces Facebook group. I would like to see that happen. We should. Yeah. So, Jason, what's our next bonus that we've got coming up? Well, Josh, we're taking a break from the holiday episodes but we will get back to them, as we already said we're going to do Love Actually. But next week, Josh, there's a little movie coming out called The Matrix Resurrections. And since we just finished our 1999 season, we got to give you a 1999 bonus episode. So we're going to go back to the first Matrix, just known as The Matrix from 1999. So tune in next time for The Matrix. And thanks for listening to Awesome Movie Year. Thank you for listening to Awesome Movie Year. Make sure to follow Awesome Movie Year on Facebook, at Awesome Movie Pod on Twitter, and at Awesome Movie Year on Instagram. And if you like the show, review us and rate us with five stars on Apple Podcasts. An All Points West production, produced by David Rosen in Las Vegas. This is what you do with your free time? Uh...